welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bible, we are in the book of Philippians and we happen to be in the uh, third chapter today and we're doing a series called Joy in the Journey. So if you're new to our church, we've been in the series the last couple of weeks and we're looking chapter by chapter at the book of Philippians because there is an overarching theme that we find in this book in our Bibles of joy. And you, there might be a, a little pushback in you thinking, well, hey, shouldn't we be talking about something else other than joy because things don't feel very joyful in my life or in our family or even in our nation right now. And my response to that thinking is we need to talk about joy more than ever because this is what Paul in the book of Philippians is commanding us to do regardless of the circumstances we are living in. And the first week when I talked about this, I said, you, you have to keep in mind as you're reading this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he's writing from prison. And if you didn't know that backstory and you're reading this in your Bibles and, and you're just looking at these verses, you're gonna think this guy is kicking back on a Malibu beach with some kind of a drink in his hand with an umbrella in it, just sipping on it going, ah, oh, just be joyful, bro. Yeah. But there, there is this this overarching theme that regardless of your circumstances, God wants us to live in joy. And what this whole series is about is this. Joy is not an emotion you feel. Joy is an attitude you choose. Joy is an attitude you choose. Part one, we looked at that attitude in chapter one. And last week, Pastor Phil covered for me in his beautiful pink shirt. Give it up for his pink shirt. Uh, he did a great job of unpacking chapter two. But today we want to talk about the joy of knowing God, because that's the overarching theme of chapter three. So if you have your Bibles, get them out, Philippians chapter three. And let me pray this. Father, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to gather in your name to learn more about who you are so that we might know you personally, intimately. So God, use me as a conduit of heaven. Speak through me. God, I pray when we leave this place, we will know we had a divine appointment with the living God. And we thank you in advance for how you're gonna do that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Philippians chapter three is such a good chapter because God ultimately wants you to know him. And the whole message of the gospel is that Jesus came to this earth not only to pay the penalty of your sin and my sin, but he came so that he might be resurrected to get heaven inside of us. 
so that we might live doing God's will from heaven on earth. And so as we think about this big idea of knowing God and how important it is, the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Philippians, he's saying something very important to us in chapter three. And it starts off in verse one. It says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. So already in chapter one and chapter two, there's this theme of joy. It's there because what? Because God wants us to live a lifestyle of joy. And listen to what he's saying. He's saying rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to repeat this. Rejoice in the Lord. There's something here, even in that phrase, rejoice in the Lord. The more that you have the Lord moving in your life, the more joy you are going to see flowing from your life. There's a direct connection between you pursuing the Lord and you choosing an attitude of joy. It's much easier to choose an attitude of joy when you have the Lord moving in you. So rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in the fullness of God living in you. And we know this too, like in another letter he writes to the Galatians, he says, you know that the spirit of God is moving in you because you have these manifestations of the spirit of God. And he gives us, I don't think it's an exhaustive list, but I think it's a little sample of the benefits that happen to our soul when we start connecting with God in this level. And one of the benefits, it says in Galatians, it says it's joy. That when the Spirit of God starts moving in you, you start experiencing a joy that is heavenly, that is beyond your ability to be able to choose. And that is important. Now, the reason he says, I'm saying this to safeguard you, is Paul was dealing with a group of people that would follow him around when he was do, do his ministry that were kind of like the trolls of today. You know what a troll is? If you go on social media, you know what a troll is, right? So you, somebody throws a tweet out, and then immediately somebody is on the tweet, responding to the tweet in disagreement or name calling. How many have ever been trolled on your social media before? Raise your hand. You, you, know, you know these trolls. So Paul doesn't call them trolls. He calls them dogs. He says, these guys are just malicious. They're going around. They're coming against the message that I'm bringing you, the message of hope, the message of the cross, the message of forgiveness, the message of grace. And they're coming in. They're, they were called Judaizers. They were coming in and saying, yeah, yeah, that's good that you have found Jesus and that Jesus has filled your life. But we need to tell you something, that you need Jesus plus these other things. You, you need Jesus plus to be circumcised according to the Jewish law. You need Jesus plus follow all of these strict commandments of the Jewish law. So they were kind of trying to undo the message that Paul was telling them, this message that was full of grace and power and truth. And Paul was saying, be careful of these guys. And I'm telling you guys to rejoice in the Lord and be warned about these guys because their message is counter to what everything Jesus stands for. Then, I love it because then he goes in and he breaks it down into what I see as three sections. And he uses these three sections and he says, this is why it's so important to celebrate knowing God. He, he mentions this word knowing or knowledge a couple times in this chapter. 
And it's not like knowing like you go to school and you get a degree and you're, you know, you have this knowledge. It's, it's more of a personal, it's more of an intimate knowledge. It's like you're, you're really getting to know somebody. It's the difference of like when you went to high school and you knew of that kid and your best friend that you really knew them, you hung out, you called each other, you hang out, you hung out on the weekend. That, that's the difference of, of like regular knowledge and this intimate knowledge that Paul is saying that we now experience in a relationship with Christ, that we don't just know about God, that we really know God because we experience God. And what we've seen as a church and, and how we've seen this kind of form in people's faith is, is almost like a progression. And one of the first steps that you experience as a follower of Jesus is that you begin knowing God personally. That's where it all begins. You make a decision that you're going to follow Jesus and Jesus begins establishing this relationship with you and you begin knowing God intimately. And that leads us into what we see as a second step of your faith. And that's where you start experiencing and finding true freedom for the vices and destructive habits that may be in your life. You find freedom. So you know God, you find freedom. And then we see a third step of a progression of faith. And that is you start discovering your purpose of, of why God puts you here on planet earth to begin with. And then it ends the progression by what we see as a fourth and final step is that God builds you up to send you out to make a difference on our planet. That you're not here by accident. You're here on purpose for a purpose. And that is to help make a difference in somebody else's life. So step one is knowing God. So I love this chapter because what Paul does is he builds it up and he says, there, there is so much power in knowing God. And what he does here is he looks at it and he says, there are three main ways that knowing God has helped me have an attitude or choose an attitude of joy. There's three things about knowing God that have helped me elevate this attitude of joy in my life. And if you're taking notes, write these three things down. You can look at them up later. I, I think these are so good. And we're just kind of doing that overview of the chapter, but I encourage you this week, go verse by verse and really look at this. But here's the first point, and that is you appreciate the value of the cross. So when you know God on this intimate, personal level, you will appreciate the value of the cross. Now for the apostle Paul, he had really appreciated it because the Jewish law was everything to this guy. I mean, he was born into it. He studied it as a, as a young boy, he memorized it. And then he went out and, and he studied under a rabbi, got his degree in the Jewish Torah and the law and became a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the tribe of Benjamin that was a tribe that was supposed to really be connected with God. And, and so in chapter three, he just kind of lays out all of these credentials. He says, man, when it came to pushing in to trying to have a relationship with God, I don't know of a person that did a better job than me. It's kind of being a little braggadocious as you, as you kind of look at this, but it meant a lot to him because the whole system that was in place before Jesus was if you want to know God intimately, you had to follow all of these commandments perfectly. And it was a hard system. There was a heavy weight on the system. And within the Jewish tradition, there are over 600, 
100 different commandments that Jewish people would follow in order to stand right with God. That was a heavy burden to carry. So Paul's carrying this burden his whole entire life. Then Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, reveals himself to him and says, Paul, everything that you tried to gain in fulfilling the law and in, in following the law perfectly, and, and even if you try to follow the law perfectly, you're gonna fall short because we're imperfect people. But he says, everything you were striving for, Jesus completed for you. Take that. And Paul was so blown away by this, it completely shifted his life. And he had this appreciation of the value of the cross. Now, because most of us are not familiar with this Jewish system that was in place to try to know God, I think a lot of times in our modern culture, it just, we don't comprehend it. We, we don't feel the appreciation probably as much as Paul felt. So if you can't relate on a faith level, let me, let me try to relate it to you on a financial level because this is something we'll all understand. Let's say, just using it as an illustration, let's say you were born in a very, very poor family. Your family was really poor. You had to get a job as a little kid in the neighborhood mowing lawns or maybe delivering newspapers. Anyone else besides me deliver newspapers back in the day? Yeah, come on, that was a great little job. But let's just say you had this job and, and all of your money wasn't to your piggy bank. It was to help mom and dad pay the utility bills, pay the rent. I mean, that was just your upbringing. You never could afford you know, vacations. You, you, it, just, it was always a struggle, always scarcity, always just an uphill battle financially. And then you graduate high school and your whole goal, because everyone's told you, if you go to college, you're gonna be a, uh, a, you know, a more of an, you're gonna have more of an income. And so you push yourself in school. You got some, some uh, student loans. You went to the best university, got great grades. You're gonna be that career-minded guy or gal. You're gonna make a difference. You're gonna get out of this financial poverty that you've been in all your life and you're super excited, but yeah, you have all the student debt. You get into your career. You move into that upper middle management position in the cubicle on the side of the office and you're there and you're building up your career and, and you have all the student debt. And you're just trying to make your bills, trying to make it work. And some stranger shows up to your office on a Thursday afternoon. And he comes to your cubicle and he gives you an envelope and you open the envelope and there is a check for a billion dollars. Billion dollars with a B. And he says, this is for you. And you look at it and you think, okay, this is you know, a fake check. Okay, where's the, where's the cameras? I'm being punk. But then you're like, okay, you're, you're for real. And this stranger's like, this is real. I know you and I know the struggle you've been in. And, and I just wanna let you know, I, I have taking care of everything you'll ever need and then some. So here's the check. You can go see if this is legit. Go to the bank. And so you go to the bank. You go to the bank teller. Hey, I want to deposit this check. And they said, yeah, this check is good. And you're like, are you kidding me? This can't be happening in my life. And there it is on the bank statement. You pull it up on your phone. There it is, Chase Bank, a billion dollars in your checking account. You're like, what has just happened to my life? Now, would you at that point want to find that stranger and say, who are you, and why have you done this for my life? Now, you might not understand the faith component, but you certainly probably understood that financial component, and some of you are like, Lord, send that stranger, please. I would love that, but here's the point. 
Paul was in a system of spiritual poverty and Jesus came with a billion dollar check to take care of him and to take care of every sin he would ever commit and to give him heaven and then some. And Paul was so elated because his whole entire life, he thought he would have to measure up. He thought he had to work hard and nothing he could do, no matter how hard he would work, he would ever be able to reach the true knowledge of the intimacy that he had in a relationship with God through Jesus. So he's reflecting on all of this. And it says this in Philippians 3 verse 8. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So what you have to look at is he's saying, I have a, I have a lot of things to be braggadocious about. But he says, in comparison to what I have in Christ, th- those things are nothing. Because I, I know that if I'm to know God personally, I-, I, have, I have to be righteous and I can't be righteous on my own. I need the righteousness of Jesus and he's freely given it to me. Philippians 3, 9, the Passion Translation reads it this way. My passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law, the old system. My righteousness will be Jesus's based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. This is why he's so passionate. Because the kingdom of heaven has filled his life up. See, the kingdom of heaven isn't about a place that we go when we die, even though I guess that would be the kingdom of heaven. But when Jesus came on earth, he talked about a way of life where the kingdom of heaven is right now. He even told his disciples the kingdom of heaven is here, speaking about himself being with him, present with them. And he was talking to the disciples about the value of the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Jesus said himself. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again from the joy over it, that he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Jesus is saying, You ought to put so much value on the kingdom of heaven and you having full access to it that everything else in comparison is nothing. That you would want to sell everything in order to be able to possess the kingdom of heaven. Because when you have the kingdom of heaven, you have everything. So everyone has achievements. Everyone has stuff. Some of us, let's be honest, we have too much stuff. Everyone has some kind of wealth. So, so here's how we assess ourselves. Like take all of the stuff that's in your life, the wealth, the things that, that you have going on, the, the achievements that you've made, and you put that into comparison to what Jesus has given to you in the kingdom of heaven. This is interesting. Let's go back to Philippians 3, 8, and 9. I'm going to read from the Good News Translation. I like how it's real colorful about this. He says, I reckon everything is complete loss for the sake of what is so much more valuable. The knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have thrown everything away. I consider it all mere garbage so that I may gain Christ and be completely united in him. You know, some of you are uh, King James Bible people. 
I have a hard time reading it because of all the these and thous and those. I'm like, you just, that's almost a different language. But I like how the King James reads verse eight of chapter three. It says, I count it as dung. It uses the word dung there. And it's, I think it's the, probably the best translation of all the translations because in the Greek, it's the word skubalon. And it means any refuse or the excrement of animals or rubbish. In modern translation, we would use this emoji. It's poop. Paul, Paul's kind of being, I think he's being funny. I think he's saying like all the accolades, all the achievements, all the awards that I have compared to, to knowing God, it's, it's poop. It's scubalon. It's, it's just, it means it has zero value. It's a waste of time in comparison. I have a good friend, and he's been in my life now for a lot of years. His name's Brian Welch. He's a lead guitarist of a band you may have heard of called Korn. Now, Korn came on scene in the mid-90s after the grunge era of music, and they brought in a new sound. They called it new metal. And, and Korn took, you know, the, the whole rock scene by storm, sold millions of albums, and they were from Bakersfield, believe it or not. And so in 2005, Brian was at a crossroad in his life and came to our church campus in Bakersfield. And on the front row of one of our services after a friend invited him to church, he gave his life to Christ. Front row of our church. And after he made that decision, I mean, radical changes took place in this man's life. Amazing changes. And I was able to be there in a transitional period of his life just to help encourage him and mentor him as a spiritual leader of a, a pastor of the church that he was a part of. And so I was hanging out with him quite a bit. And uh, one day, I'm going to back up if you guys are okay with that, because that sun is hot. Um, it's already turned my iPad off. But back, back in this time, I, I was following. He was going to show me something at his house. And we went into the garage. And, and as we went into the garage, we walked right by this pile of, I thought it was like trash or, you know, the Goodwill giveaway. Everyone has like that little pile in your garage. You know what I'm talking about. And I happened to notice on the floor next to this pile of stuff were two Grammys on the floor and in the garage with dust on them. And I stopped and I looked at him and I said, Brian, whoa, 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 come here, come here. I go, is that what I think it is? Are, are those what I think they are? He said, yeah. So you have Grammys in your garage collecting dust next to a bunch of junk. He said, yeah. He said, Jim, you don't understand. He said, now that the spirit of God is living in me, this stuff back in the day, the pinnacle of, of like success as a musician means nothing to me. I was like, bro, this is what Paul is saying in Philippians 3. And I don't know if you've ever hung out with somebody that is new to faith. If, if you're one of these people that you've been a, a part of a relationship with God for a long time, you may have lost a little fire because here's what I've realized in my own life. What is common tends to be taken for granted. What you're used to, what becomes normal, you tend to just look past the value of. And in that moment, I just was like, I was so refreshed in my soul about the value of Jesus through the lens of a new believer that was seeing the great value of Jesus Christ in his life. He says, those trophies mean nothing 
to me. See, let me go back to the illustration about the, the money. I've seen a tendency within people that have been part of church life for a long time. I'm a first generation Christian. What I mean by that is that I wasn't raised in the church. I was 19 years old when I really received Christ and gave my life to him. And so I, I had some living before that that was outside of church and I'll save my testimony for another Sunday. But let's just say <laughs> I wasn't born with a Bible in my hand, all right? But there are some of you that were pretty much born in the church. You've been raised in the church. Church is just, just what you do on Sundays or at least you know, before the coronavirus. said so That's what you did. And to me, it's equivalent to somebody that is born wealthy. Ever met somebody that their, their parents or grandparents just had a ton of money? They're always going places. They invite you over. They're going in their, I don't know, $5 million mansion. You're like, hey, come to my bedroom. You're like, what is this neighborhood? Like, are, are you kidding me? And they're just like, yeah, whatever. 16th birthday, you know, they drive up in the new Mercedes. Some of you know, you had friends like that, right? You just drive up and just like, yeah, yeah, this is what this is my life is. But if you're in that space, you know that, that money doesn't have the same value to you when it's handed to you. And I think that happens to a lot of people's faith when they're born in the church or where they've been in the church for long periods of time. You, you stop appreciating the value of what it is that God has made available for your life. Are you kidding me? That God has a personal relationship ready to go for you. That you can speak to the God that created the heavens and the earth that spoke us into existence. That, that, that he wants you to know him intimately and personally and talk to you. See, as, as I think about this, I'm like, wow, the more you appreciate this, the more it's going to help your attitude. I say it this way, gratitude shapes attitude and attitude impacts altitude. So you move in a new level of joy to the degree that you start appreciating all that God has done for you and all that God is doing in you and all that God is about to do for you. This is where communion comes in. Celebrating the life of Jesus. Jesus said, as often as you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. What was he doing? He was trying to say, there's extreme value in what I'm doing for your life. And the more often you take communion, the more you're remembering this value, you're not forgetting it. It's not becoming common to you. And that's why we encourage you, grab some communion cups and take communion on your own this week. And I know point one was a long time, but I promise you that the two points remaining are really quick. Number two is you focus on what's in front of you. So you appreciate the value of the cross. Number two, you focus on what's in front of you, not what's behind you. This is what he says in verse 13, 14. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let's be real. This year is nothing that we expected. If you did expect us, I want to talk to you after service. <laughs> you, got a, you got another level of connection with God. But here's what I've discovered, not just with this season, but with just life in general. Unmet expectations set us up for big disappointments, don't they? We get disappointed. Disappointment unchecked goes into discouragement or even possibly depression and hopelessness. And the most discouraged people I know are the ones that are constantly looking in the rearview mirror of life. They're always looking back on what, hap what happened, what didn't happen. That 
then there's like shame attached to it. There's, there's regret attached to it. And, and let, me, let me give you a revelation this morning. There's a reason in your car, the rear view mirror is a lot smaller than the front windshield. Why? Because it's much more important to see what's coming at you than seeing what's behind you. Come on, somebody, that was good. Yeah, that, some, some people, they can get so stuck in looking in the rear view mirror that they don't see the blessings and the, the breakthrough that God is bringing to them in real time. So Paul says, I, I'm not attached to not just, because he wasn't just talking about his accolades in this chapter. He was talking about too, he's like, I harmed people because I thought I was doing God a favor by harming these people that were these Christians and I thought they were breaking the law. So I, I had them killed. So he's looking back, he has all this shame in his head. He has all of these things that were meaningless now. And he's like, I, I, didn't wanna, I don't wanna look at him anymore. I just wanna, I wanna look ahead because what is ahead of me is so beautiful, it's so powerful. I have heaven waiting for me. So no matter what circumstances I'm walking in, if I'm in prison, if I'm on my death sentence, I know, hey, my death day is my birthday. I mean, I, if I die, I live, so hey, I don't really, it, the circumstances are irrelevant to me. So I'm just gonna keep looking forward. Turn to your neighbor, somebody near you and say, keep looking forward, it's important. When I was in elementary school, I ran track. I was pretty fast as a little guy. I think part of the reason is I had a big brother always chasing me, threatening my life. That will, that will make you fast as a little brother. And, and so I was on the track team, and I ran the sprints. I did the 50-yard the dash, 100-yard dash. And I learned something as a, as a young boy that the difference of first and second place sometimes is how much you're willing to stick your chest out. I mean, it's that close of a race. And this word pressing on is that, is that athletic term of just like being able to kind of stick your chest out, kind of put yourself out there stretch yourself out. And what Paul's saying is, I'm not looking about what's happened. I'm looking in the future and I'm waiting for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul says, I'm not worried about where I've been. I'm worried about what's coming. And what's coming is an invitation for me to be with God forever, for eternity, and to hear God say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, I'm living for the well done. I'm stretching myself out for that well done. I like to say it this way, the more I stretch myself out for the well done to come, the more joy I I walk in today? Are you living for that well done moment? Are you keeping moving forward? Here's the third point, And that is you recognize this world is not your home. Knowing God is about recognizing that because God is living in you, that you are now a citizen of heaven. Verses 18 and 20. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. The God of their, their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we're eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. <laughs> this planet is broken. And all you have to do is turn on the news for three minutes and you can figure that out yourself. You don't need a pastor to tell you that. But the joy of knowing God is to know that this isn't our home. This is 
We're, we're what I call, we're on temporary earth visas. God's given us special green cards for earth. I have a picture. I don't know if you guys can see it on the screen. But we've all, as, as people of God, as children of God, as followers of Jesus, we've been given these temporary earth visas. And so this isn't our home. So years ago, uh, a pastor uh, that I was listening to, he handed these out and I remade them and you can get one on the way out at the same table that we have the communion. But I have our own temporary earth visas that you can put in your wallet. <laughs> and, and you know, it's kind of cheesy. You gotta be honest. Like, it's like, what is this? You know? But you know what? Through the years, it's been amazing to me how many times I've went into my wallet and I pulled that out and just needed that little reminder that this world is not my home. Because this is what the world is really good at. It's giving you a mirage and making you forget about all of the things to come and just think about the right now. You don't think about consequences. You don't think about all the things that you may be actually bringing into your life. And it says here that there are people that do things not mindful of the life to come and they end up destroying themselves. Because that's what the world does. The, the world comes and gives you all of these false promises when we just give ourselves over to it. Some of you, you lived in the world for many years. You know, it's a mirage. Matter of fact, it's a terrible mirage because it, you follow some of these things that the world says, hey, come on, do it. Everyone's doing it. It's fun. Come on, party. And you go and you're like, yeah. And then you realize, whoa, I just possibly ruined my life. This, this world is built I'm trying to destroy you as a person, but God is built. I'm building you up as his kid. And the value of being a citizen of heaven isn't just when you die. It's what do you do when your child dies? That's pretty heavy duty. I watched my parents deal with that. When I was 10 years old, my 19 year old sister passed away unexpectedly. That happens in life. How do you handle life when you lose your job? Do the coronavirus. What do you do? What do you say after a doctor comes in and tells you you have cancer? I tell you, as a citizen of this world, it's pretty hopeless, this, these situations. But as a citizen of heaven, man, God comes close to the brokenhearted and crushed spirit. <laughs> he provides in ways that defy the odds. He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. You know, the city of Philippi, as I end, where this church was located, was actually a Roman colony. They actually called it a Rome away from Rome. And what we are as people of God, as followers of Jesus, we're called a colony of heaven on earth. That's what we are. So we're on temporary earth visas that expire at our death or the return of Christ. Which as I'm watching the news unveil every week, I'm like, I think his return's pretty soon. So what are we doing with the time that we have on this broken planet? And then are we mindful that God's heaven is so much better than anything we could find on this earth? Our citizenship is in heaven. So here's my question as we end our services. Do you know God? Do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? 
where you can find yourself in a bit of trouble, but you know you're okay because God is with you. You can be given the worst news in your life, but you know you're gonna be okay because God is a miracle worker. Do you know God personally? And I want you to stand with me, and I just want us to end our service with a word of prayer. So would you just stand? Lord, as we just end our time, Father, we just pray that you would bring us into a place of knowing you, that you elevate our attitude of joy as we live out our lives, as we deal with our families, as we deal with our finances, as we deal with all of these moving parts of our lives. God, we pray that we may know you personally deeper and deeper and more and more. And while everyone is praying, maybe you're assessing, are you appreciating the value of the cross? Are are you keeping looking forward? You're not stuck looking behind you. Have you really comprehend that you are a citizen of heaven, whatever point you're on, just let the Holy Spirit just work on you and give you revelation for how to move into a place of a deeper knowledge of who God is and what he wants to do in those spaces of your life. And if you're here and you don't know God, you haven't stepped into a relationship with Jesus, I wanna give you an invitation to do that right now. And all I want you to do is just, just pray this prayer after me right there where you're sitting. I'm not gonna, or standing, to, I'm not gonna ask you to embarrass yourself or do whatever. Just, just pray this prayer right where you're standing. Say, Jesus, I give you my life today. I wanna know you personally. I wanna know you intimately. And I want to be a citizen of heaven. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for dying for all of my sin, for paying a debt I could never pay, for writing out that billion-dollar spiritual check for my life. For today, I give you my life. I belong to you, and I will follow you with my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you, if you pray that prayer for the first time, I want you to text a number and because I want to make sure you get a Bible and we get your resources mailed to you. But text this number, 805-807-9444. We call it the Atmos phone, all right? So 805-807-9444 and just text in there and say, I said yes. And and the rest will will be taken care of. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms, and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.